You can open your uh, Bibles to uh, Matthew 26, and uh, in a little minute or so, we'll be starting on verse 36. That's Matthew 36. I put a picture on the screen. Does everyone see it? Just wave your hand or something if you can see this. Good. All right. Because I can't tell. I'm just looking at the screen. This is a forsythia plant that we have in the front of our house. And it's blooming early. Uh, we had a very warm March, and so that's why we're seeing uh, the blooming at this time. And we've already had some daffodils come up. And I was at the church building Friday. Yes, Friday. And uh, we saw some daffodils there as well. Um, I've already started my potato plants, potato, <laughs> tomato plants. I started them about a month ago, and they're out on the sun porch now. they got three or four leaves. They're up around three, four inches. And I'll be planting peas at the end of this month. Enjoy, and certainly uh, I enjoy having a garden every year. Actually, Adam and Eve started their lives in a perfect garden. No weeds, no thorns. That's not my garden. <laughs> Lots of weeds. And God provided them with everything that they needed to survive forever. And God also walked with them in the garden. And we read about this in, in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. This is a picture of the garden on Mount of Olives, on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And it's a place that's called Gethsemane. And this is where our Lord went to pray just before he was arrested and then tried and then crucified. You know, it was actually the same time of year that Jesus went into this garden about 2,000 years ago. He just celebrated the Passover with his 12 apostles. And verse 38 reads, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This morning, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the will of God. I want to talk about God's will and COVID-19. And then I'm going to end up talking about the benefits of God's will. Let's look at some passages that have God's will in them. As I told you to turn to Matthew 26, we'll read verses 36 to 46. And it's on the screen so you can follow. And I've highlighted some of the things that I, I want to focus on. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
Notice Jesus is in his darkest hour. And what is he doing? What he's always doing. He's going to pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? So we get from that, he prays for an hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, we went away and prayed. My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving me, and went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So in this garden scene that I showed you, we have Jesus and his apostles there. But Jesus goes off alone and he prays. And he knows what's in store for him. And he asks if it's possible to be removed. But he is willing to accept the will of the Father. Let's look at a few passages that talk about the will of God. And these are just a few. Many, many of them in the Bible. David wrote, I delight to do your will, O God, my God. Your law is within my heart. So we know that the law contains the will of God. And in those days, David's referring to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And Moses delivered that law to the Israelites. David says again, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 143. Let's see what Jesus said about the will of God. When he at his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 and 7 his disciples asked him to teach them how to pray and he said pray like this our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as in heaven Matthew 6, 9 and 10 at the end Near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty one. So it's not one thing to hear it. 
It's one not. It's not one thing to know it. You need to do it. We need to practice it. We need to pattern our lives after being doers of God's will. Amen. Jesus also said in Matthew 7, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. It had been founded on the rock. And so Jesus is saying in times of a calamity or a word, a disaster, it's his words that we have to be practicing. That's the one that we need to build our lives. Build our lives based on a solid foundation, on the rock, our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. James I think anytime you think about doing God's word, you, you, your mind's going to go to James. And in the first chapter he writes, but be doers of the word, not just hearers, or not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of a word and not a doer, he's like the man who looks intently on his face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing so what I want us to take away from this is the will of God is his word his law and we need to be doing it and Jesus' word is now the word that we are to be doing and I'll link that to God's word in a minute Okay. Well, let's talk about God's will for man. Uh, as we were talking about in Romans today, God created everything. Heaven, earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. And we read that in, in Exodus, when, when Moses is summing things up. The Ten Commandments. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day, Genesis 1.31. In each day of creation, the Bible says it was good. But on the sixth day, after he finished his creation. God said, and this is when man was made on the sixth day, he said, it's very good. So the creation that God made for us is very good. Keep that thought in mind. What did he do about man? He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created a garden for man's dwelling place. So we are unique in all that God had created. The earth, the sea, all the creatures, in the water, in the air. He made us in his image. 
and he placed us in a garden. I love gardens. And that's where man was. Genesis 1. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and, and there uh, he placed man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for knowledge, uh, and good for food. I'm having a hard time seeing the right of my screen. Let me see if I can move something over here. Maybe I can't. Nope. Oh. Let's go back. There we go. <laughs> All right. I'm trying to find my place here. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden, in the midst of the garden, and the tree of good knowledge was there. Skipping down to verse 15, I'm, I'm, I'm in the last bullet of this screen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, and notice this word commanded, you must surely eat, you may surely eat every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2. So I want you to visualize this scene. God has produced the perfect garden. He's put in it every kind of tree that's beautiful to see. And we're going to see that in a few months. A few weeks, rather. The trees are going to be leafing out. And these trees had food. I love fruit trees. There was, however, two trees in the middle of the garden. One of them was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gave a command. You can eat every tree you want, of every tree you want, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do that, you're going to die. And I don't know how you are, but I can remember as a kid growing up, I probably still do that, when you tell me I can't do something, my automatic reaction is, I want to do it. <laughs> and Adam and Eve had that same problem. They disobeyed God. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, serpent came along and gave her some advice. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she became, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So Adam and Eve eat of the tree that they were commanded not to eat. And guess what happened? Their eyes were both opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed big leaves together and made themselves line cloths. Okay. So that's where we were left. I think I left the scripture out. But let's move on. God's will, again, this is what we're talking about. 
is that we all be saved from his wrath. And when we when when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were going to experience God's wrath. But we know that God is a loving God because we read in the New Testament, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God wants us to not uh, die, but to live forever. And in Acts, when Peter was being asked by the council uh, why he's preaching Jesus, he said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which became the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is no name under heaven given, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So God wants us to be saved, and he's given us Jesus Christ to save us. Paul wrote, In Timothy, the saying is a treachery and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am first most. And so Paul, in his letter to Timothy, is giving the example of how forgiving God can be. He could forgive a man like Saul of Tarsus who persecuted Christians and put them to death. And yet Paul was forgiven. He says later on in that book, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We just read about that in Romans. Man has suppressed the truth, but God wants us to know the truth. All right. Let's see if we can take a look at what we are facing today. It's nothing in comparison to what Jesus had to face as he went to the cross. But a lot of people are certainly depressed, demoralized, and suffering hardships because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so it's on all of our minds. And so some people are talking about this might be the will of God. And so I thought I would broach that subject this morning. Is the coronavirus pandemic God's will? My wife's shaking her head. Well, I agree. Shake your head. No. Well, maybe. Yes. Some people say yes. Well, I really don't know. But I think I do. Moving on. God has brought about destruction, famine, pestilence in the past. And it's been as punishment for man's evil behavior. And I'm going to put a list up here to just remind us of some that we read about in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we know that God had a hand in it. <laughs> there was the universal flood in Genesis 6. And God destroyed all living creatures 
that were on the land except for Noah and his family and all the animals that were on the ark. But everything else that was on the land was annihilated. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Fire, brimstone, hails down from heaven. Remember the ten plagues in Egypt against Pharaoh. What about the fiery serpents that bit people in the wilderness, Numbers 21? And then you can't forget Israel's captivity by the Assyrians and Judah's captivity by the Babylonians and the destruction of Jerusalem. All judgment by God. His wrath being carried out now, all these people had warnings. And so we can say, yes, in this situation, it was God's will to carry out these punishments. What about the past plagues and pandemics? You know, this is not the first one <laughs> that this world has seen. And this is a short list, again. The... Uh, one that people talk about is the bubonic, bubonic plague, plague, or the Black Death. My wife's laughing at me. In uh, 542 A.D., it killed between 25 and 50 million people. That was the first episode of this plague. It came back. There was a second pandemic in 1347 A.D., and again, it killed... 25 million people or about a third of Europe. There is another hideous disease out there, smallpox. It goes actually way back to pre-century. And it's been found in some of the Egyptian mummies. But it has been eradicated, I hope, 2011. So this is something that we are could have experienced in our lifetime. Overall, it killed 300 to 500 million people just in the 20th century. Why am I giving you all these numbers? Because I, I want to put the COVID-19 pandemic in, in perspective of things that have happened in the past. There was the 1918 flu pandemic. It's also called the Spanish flu. And it infected some 500 million people about a fourth of the world's population and an estimated, and it's a big range, 17 to 50 million people died. The numbers I'm talking about here are millions, millions, almost up to a half a billion. Those are big, big numbers. So, if this COVID-19 is not God's will, what is the cause? And these are my estimations or my explanation from the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. And they ate fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We read that. Their punishment, the result of that is they were banned from the garden. They didn't have access to the tree of life. 
And there were some things said to them as well, and we're going to look at those. But the end result was the world was changed. We no longer were in that perfect garden. We were in a changed and broken world that had suffering and death. In Genesis 3.16, God said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Oh, cursed is the ground. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Okay. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You shall return to the ground. So, the punishment was pain of Adam and Eve. But now for the ground to bring forth the food didn't have that tree of life didn't have all those trees in the garden and he has to by the sweat of his brow grow his food it's surrounded by weeds and thorns and thistles and you're going to die you're going back to the ground because Adam was created from the dust so that's the world we live in now so we can expect difficulties in this life. And that's what I think we are experiencing. Uh, we live in a broken world. There have been these pandemics that I've showed you over the years. And they have killed up to millions of people, a third of the population. Okay, moving on. God's will, though, is perfect and it's beneficial. Amen. It's the truth, as we study in Romans. He created us for good works. You know, I read before, we're supposed to multiply. We're doing pretty good there, but we're supposed to do good works. In Ephesians, Paul writes, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the life we live now as Christians is a life of good works. Paul said it's a trustworthy statement that he should I want you to insist on these things the things that Titus was to teach so that those who have believed in God may be careful they're supposed to devote their lives we as Christians need to devote our lives to good works and in the Hebrew writer says let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works not like a meeting together and uh, we are meeting together, not face to face, but we are here to encourage one another to love each other, 
and for good works. And we can't forget about Jesus. And we can't think about the trials that we will face in our life. James wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We are going through difficult times. In perspective, it isn't as bad as previous pandemics, but it's something new for us in our lifetime. How many of us are thankful for it? We have an opportunity to share the gospel with our neighbors, to help them, to do good works to them. And that's a better way of looking at this than blaming God or blaming the government or blaming somebody else. Amen. Paul told us not to grow weary in doing good. You know, some people are complaining. It's been my experience, though, that under these kind of conditions, and we've had uh, uh, snowstorms that have closed down the state for five days, and the behavior of people during these impending times generally is good, and people get out and start helping each other. And so we shouldn't grow weary of doing good. And Jesus, we're also told in the Hebrew letter, that he was looking, that, that as, as we live our lives, we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so this is a metaphor that we're in a race. It's a marathon. Right now we're in a short, we're, we're at Heartbreak Hill right now. And uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus went through this ordeal. He climbed that hill. He finished that race. And he did it for us. And look how he did it. He did it with joy and prayer. And I'm going to suggest to you that that's the attitude we need to have ourselves during this pandemic. We need to have an attitude of joy. We need to look for the good in it. And we need to use prayer to communicate to God our feelings, our desires, our needs, our wants, our thankfulness. Uh, Amen. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, I need this. I need the prayer part <laughs> to be more diligent in this. Because I want to show you why. Paul said this, Rejoice in the Lord always. This is the Philippian 4 verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're back to the garden. Where I started this lesson, this sermon. And I told you how much joy and peace I find in gardening. And I'm looking forward to this season. And the final verse I'd like to leave you with is found in the Thessalonian letter. And this is the attitude that we need to take with us as we continue these next few days as things get worse. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let us think on these things as we observe the Lord's Son.